Welcome to Where We Land, a podcast that explores the relationship between Christ, culture, and the church. Hello, everyone. This is Morgan McClure, and today I am joined by my co-host, Stephen Vaughn. Hello, Moose. Hi, and Aaron Mansfield. Hey, it's good to be with you guys. Yeah, we're so excited today. Um, We'll be discussing a kind of heavy topic. We'll actually be going um, into a discussion about depression. Um, We will talk about uh, what it is, how it affects our society, but also the road to victory out of it. So we hope you stay tuned for the complete discussion ahead. All right, guys. So... Coming into this, it's a little heavy. Um, we're talking yeah, about it's a depression, big topic. yeah, mm. and it is actually a it's a wild, widely pervasive issue in our society today and in the church. <laughs> that's <What>? true. <laughs> that's and true. in the church. Oh, and in the church. Okay, I it's thought you said ju- amen to the church. And no, I was like, no, okay, no. and in the church. I believe that it's actually just as pervasive in the church as it is in society. Unfortunately, yeah. It's well, sad. in the National Institute of Mental Health, actually called it one of the most widely diagnosed mental health disorders in the United States. Mm. States, which is crazy. Um, so I had the statistic that I came across also from the National Institute of Mental Health, and it says an estimated 17.3 million adults in the United States had at least one major depressive episode in 2017, and this number represented 7.1% of all U.S. adults, that is anyone over the age of 18. Wow. Wow. You know, people experience depression from a whole bunch of different life events. I mean, depression is one of those things that's, it's such a broad spectrum. And so as we kind of begin the podcast today, you know, there's a whole bunch of different things that contribute to that. You know, it might be unemployment for people. It might be trauma they've experienced, bereavement. Um, but all of those things can lead to kind of developing a depression. And I think about is kind of how our society has approached the topic. Uh, you know, it's often approached from a social standpoint, it's approached from a psychological standpoint, even a biological standpoint. But I think oftentimes what gets neglected is the spiritual aspect mm-hmm. uh, of depression. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time too on the podcast uh, exploring that today. Um, but, you know, I, I think you guys could agree, right, that there's a real interrelationship between depression and a person's physical health. Oh, for um, sure. I mean, there's a lot of studies that have been done. One thing I came across as I was looking at some of this was that they had made a statement that cardiovascular disease can lead to depression and vice versa. And so it's one can lead to the other. And, and it's, you know, there's so many things that feed into that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and when you really consider chronic illnesses as well, aside from something that um, like cardiovascular diseases, like um, congenital heart defects and like all these things that can... Um, be through with a person throughout their life, something like um, fibromyalgia or um, something Mm. where you're terminal like cancer, that can really compound on leading to depression. So that's really where it comes from, something that people aren't getting healthier. Yeah, no, physical has a huge deal. I think think mental and emotional things have a big deal too. If you look up statistics um, in 2017 for just ninth through 12th grade, okay? And I'm a student's pastor, so I, I like stats about students sometimes, but just ninth through 12th grade, uh, there was 17% of high school students who reported that they had seriously uh, considered attempting suicide. Mm-hmm. And I think of, uh, that's according to the Health and Human Services government uh, website, and I just think of like how emotional and mentally straining high school can be and how those things can really affect how a person is doing with uh, mentally and then their depression can start and then it's like a spiral effect you know and all of a sudden before too long man maybe ending it is the way to go you know and they start Mm -hmm. considering and thinking like this and it's because of a lot of the pressures that can happen you know yeah and in spite of all these causes i you know you think about treatments so how how is our society approaching treating depression? Well, I think you know there's kind of the kind of these extremes, and 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 you were mentioning the church, and then of course society, but there are these extremes I think today where it's either been completely reduced to kind of how s- society would approach the issue and the treatments available, 
and kind of the psychological community would give a, a, a number of different type of treatments. One would be a positive thinking, um, kind of this cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, one that's really prevalent is kind of this uh, interpersonal psychotherapy. And, uh, but it could be something as simple as like an exercise program or uh, a changing of your diet. But there's, there's something though, too, in terms of how our society has approached this. And that is in antidepressants. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, a few episodes ago, we were talking about, um, this soul and substance, but the one thing I, I kind of came away as I was preparing for today was that the American psychological association, they did a, did a little bit of research on antidepressants and, there's no question when you look at the data that antidepressant use is on the rise in our country. Mm -hmm. um, I, I found that they said that one out of 10 people in the U.S. over the age of 12 mm -hmm. took an antidepressant medication in the last month. Wow. One out of 10 people. And if you're in a category of adults age 60 or over, that increases to two out of 10 people in the last month took an antidepressant medication. And since 1999, the statistic that they gave was that there has been, get this, a 64% increase, hmm. percentage wow. increase in the number of people using antidepressants between 1999 and 2014 when the statistic was given. So it's like, huge. so our society today sees depression as a major uh, problem. And, and there's, there's, there's a number of different treatments, both physical and psychological that are being given. But one in particular, that's often prescribed more than all the rest is medication. Mm -hmm. And, I think, and it's, I think it's important to note that um, rarely are people getting medication without seeing a professional mm -hmm. um, for counseling, because you know, you're, right. you're not going to be able to prescribe it yourself. That's so right. often in conjunction, people are seeing a psychiatrist and getting prescribed medication. But when that medication fails, they just get prescribed another right. Right. another and then if it's not working still they just increase the dosage, dosage. Exactly. Yeah, exactly the dosage goes up and that's what people are relying on and, and i don't want to try and broad brush here but i think as you look at the data and you look at how society has approached the issue of depression more than often what is happening is it's being treated with antidepressants mm -hmm. and then you look at the church like you were mentioning Stephen. i mean depression's a, a factor in the church as well and yet sometimes there's this really reductionary approach to depression in the church that it's only a spiritual issue mm -hmm. and uh and if you get that right then everything else is right and and, and so i think where we want to go today on the podcast is take a little time exploring what is depression, uh, what are the th symptoms that are associated with that, how do you know if you're actually dealing with depression or if you're just dealing with the blues, you know? And, um, and then looking at kind of what does the Bible uh, give as kind of this holistic approach uh, to be an overcomer of depression. So um, let's just kind of segue here a moment and uh, define our terms, Morgan, right? Yes. Uh, so, so she's come prepared with a definition for us. Our resident dot expert. My <laughs> favorite, D-Y-T. Okay. okay. So the National Institute of Health um, listed this definition for depression, and it is a period of at least two weeks when a person experienced a depressed mood or loss of interest or pleasure in daily activities and had a majority of specified symptoms such as problems with sleep, eating, energy, concentration, or self-worth. So that's a lot there. So yes. let, let's kind of parse that out a little bit. So mm -hmm. what, 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 what are some of the... Can you, because you read that and I, I'm trying to like gra grab a hold <laughs> yeah, of it. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. the main things that we, we look for in diagnosing depression, I'm not a psychiatrist, but I did get my degree in social work. So we have a, a generalist clinical understanding when we're studying these different um, mental health diagnoses. And so you look at the length of time that this has gone on in a person's life. So it's at least two weeks. And it's also, so along with a depressed mood, it's compounded by other symptoms normally um, that's being disrupted in a person's um, physical uh, presentation. So they are, you know, anxious or sad. They are irritable. They have decreased energy. They're really fatigued all the time. They sleep a lot more. They're often, you know, they, their emotions are all over the place. That's right. Yeah. So it's, it's a lot that goes into um, it, it is. And everybody, everybody handles depression differently. I mean, mm -hmm. and it manifests itself uh, differently, you know, so it is a it is a state that is a period of time. And one of the definitions I came across was talking about how it's really these ag um, exaggerated feelings of sadness mm -hmm. and hopelessness mm -hmm. that aren't really consistent with reality, you know, so it's like, 
it, it, there's 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 a sense in which everything is kind of drawn out of proportion and and it's not only are you going through a low but it's it's a real deep low you know mm-hmm. and and uh and and it's the littlest thing that gets you uh positive again and then it's the smallest thing that this takes you back into despair you know mm-hmm. it's these really exaggerated feelings yeah and and it's one of those things too where like the it's kind of like if you fall into a hole i always whenever i'm counseling with students who struggle with depression we like pictures and mm-hmm. we like illustrations and we always define it as like a hole like a sinkhole because depression is one of those things that uh it starts and at the outset you're like you know i'm probably just discouraged right but then the farther and farther you get in um it's like, man, I'm stuck here, you know? And it's Mm -hmm. these exaggerated feelings. And then a lot of times what happens in the person's life who's depressed is they become blind to even how far they've gone. And uh, I think another part of that definition too could be that many times they're feelings and symptoms that are unexplained too. Mm -hmm. Um, That's one thing that I think some, some of the definitions don't always hit on is that it's not always just a symptom. Like if you didn't go to bed till 3 a.m. and you woke mm-hmm. up at 6 a.m., sorry about it, you're going to be fatigued, bud. Yeah. You know, these are unexplained symptoms. These right. are things where people are living life, they're attempting to keep on going, and then these symptoms come in unexplained and they're extreme, and all of a sudden they're like, what do I do? It's yeah. a weight there. Yeah. It's a weight. And in, in, in the, this, uh, uh, the symptom list from the National Institute of Mental Health, they actually described um, even physical symptoms that can come out of it, like aches and pains, digestive problems that really have no clear physical cause mm-hmm. or explanation. And I, I like what you um, said about uh, the blindness that can come with this, because really um, when a person is experiencing depression, often the the reason why they struggle so hard to come out of it is because there's this inability to see beyond where they are right now. That's so true. And then when you were talking about kind of this downward spiral, you guys ever seen the movie National Treasure? Remember that part yeah. of the movie where they're going yeah. down the staircase? Yeah. Like I just, like when you were saying that, it just reminds me, it's like, it's like, you know, sometimes when you're in depression, it's, it's not, it's it, depression's not just feeling the blues. That's what we're really mm-hmm. saying. It's, it's not just kind of this short lived mood fluctuation because uh, that we you're all in. go through that. We all go emotions through that. I mean, change. emotions, and we had an episode on emotions and how yeah. fluctuating our emotions are, right? So, but depression is more than that. It's not just being downcast. It's not even just being discouraged, but it's actually moving in uh, to this type of emotional state that is just categorized w- with these types of lingering, downward, sad, hopeless feelings. It's, it's Mm -hmm. despair. And and I think about that, you know, that spiral, because it's like the further you go into the spiral, you made a good point, Stephen, you don't realize how far down you are. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so true. Like people who are battling depression, I think on the outset of it, you don't really at first realize what it is Mm -hmm. until you've been in that for a period of weeks or months. And then by that time, you've lost that sense of normalcy that you were accustomed to and you were used to. And then you're like, Mm -hmm. you you just feel lost. You feel hopeless. Like, how do I get out of this? Because you feel feel stuck. And Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, if if you've ever been stuck before in something like that, I mean, that it is is just a weight. Uh, It's a weight there. So how do we, let's take a moment here and just take a few things because there's a number of symptoms um, that are given that are not, completely inclusive, but it, it does help to say, hey, how do I know if I'm dealing with depression? And these would be some of those symptoms um, that medical professionals would describe. Um, I mean, we've already talked about kind of that persistent feeling of sad, sadness and emptiness. Um, one, one place I came across talked about feelings of worthlessness, hopelessness, and pessimism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think... Um even you know if you're if you're like okay yes i have those uh more mental symptoms but if you're finding that you physically cannot get out of bed in the morning because you are just so fatigued or even if you're um you know you're feeling restless or you can't concentrate on anything because all you're just wrapped up in this um, no energy or yeah sometimes people describe it as like a cloud or just this sense of doom that's over everything in their life Mm -hmm. so would you say that you could get the physical before the mental or that they go hand in hand. Hmm. That's interesting. I, That's like, Cause when I, when I look at it and again, I'm not a medical professional, but when I look at these definitions and I see it, 
it seems to be something at the outset that begins more mental and then transitions into physical. And it seems like your mental is affected or spiritual. You could argue mm-hmm. spiritual, mental on both levels. It starts there and then physical follows. Because mm-hmm. I think I, th- I think what we don't want to do is just be like, hey, if you're experiencing any, any one of these physical symptoms, you have depression, you know? Right. Because it's like, well, I mean, extreme fatigue could be caused by a heart issue, you know? Yeah, very <laughs> But it's like, it's like, I think, I think when we're looking at it here, it seems from the data and stats that physical follows these mental and spirituals and it's like an outflow and overflow almost of the internal. Because we right. talked about how, you remember when we were preparing, we were talking about how depression's internal. Mm-hmm. And it seems like the spiritual mental is that internalization and then it externalizes itself in our physical daily life. Yeah, Mm. I would agree with that. And especially when we, um, it's important to remember to consider that this step, this working definition of depression that we have, is very, um, encompassing of all of Mm. these things together presenting at the same time, you know, and even though they may come in stages, um, you're, if you're, if you're having digestive issues or if you have a headache or if you're really tired, Outside of any of these other things, mm. those could have a completely mm-hmm. different cause. But those could also be contributing factors yes. into that situation. Because, you know, I, I would agree with that, Stephen. But I, I think I would also say this, that I think, you know, depression is one of those things that, you know, we talk about it, it being a, um, a despair or sadness mm-hmm. or hopelessness. I think oftentimes the path into depression starts very small. I mean, mm-hmm. it becomes yeah. with, it, it will talk about some of these things that trigger people, but I think oftentimes it's, it's a hurt or it's a, it's a, um, it's an unmet expectation mm-hmm. or it's just a being let down about something or feeling loss over something, which in itself, you know, might've been a very big deal. Yeah. But I think those are the lingering thoughts within mm-hmm. those first few days and weeks. But often I would say then all of these other type of things we've talked about, the loss of pleasure, the loss of activities, the pulling away from people, the decreased mm-hmm. energy, the difficulty sleeping, all of those things sometimes begin to accumulate and compile over a period of months. And and honestly, one thing we haven't talked about yet is that, you know, at the pit of despair, uh, where people are, leads them to do desperate things. And, mm-hmm. and so we see people um, at very rock bottom, I guess, in the midst of this pit of depression, um, ending their life mm-hmm. in suicide. You know, um, it, it, it is one of those things I came across a statistic as we were preparing for this close to 800,000 people die due to suicide every year. Mm-hmm. And suicide is the second leading cause of death in students ages 15 through 29. And so what happens is, is that, you know, after a while over a period of time in that pit of depression and despair, these thoughts, those feelings become so overwhelming that um, people don't see the end out. They don't see hope. They don't see uh, freedom from that. And so they think that the easiest way out Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is just ending their own life. The interesting Mm -hmm. thing too about some of those stats is that the high school students that are represented there is what makes up almost 7% uh, according to statistics in 2017. So, and then out of that, the females were 4% more likely than males to have attempted suicide one or more times in the year period. Mm. And so the, the total percentage for females was 9% of high school students. So almost one in every high school girl has attempted suicide in some form Mm. in that year's time where they did this study, according to the health and human services. Mm. And and that's just crazy to think about. So that means in your church and your youth group and your school, those are people that's right. not stats. Mm-hmm. Right. So when you go to church, if you have 11 girls that are high school age, statistically speaking, statistically speaking, yeah. there is a very high chance that one of those girls has attempted suicide. Yeah. yeah. And that, uh, when I started thinking like that, that's where the rubber meets the road. Mm-hmm. And that's where it gets you thinking of like, oh, wow, that's faces in my church. So that's faces in my work. That's faces at my school. Or me or my own family. That's faces I mean, that's, in my family. This, I mean, depression is one of those things, man, this hits close to home mm-hmm. uh, because I would say most people either have battled depression or they uh, know somebody close to them that has. So let's kind of p- come out of the pit a minute here. Mm-hmm. And at the very rock bottom, you know, we see despair, but coming out of that a moment, what are some triggers that lead people into that pit, lead people 
towards depression. And there's a number of them, but we're not yeah. gonna we're not gonna exhaust that. But let's take a moment here and just kind of because I think these are um, this episode is not just for people who are in the midst of depression, but for people to guard against going into depression. Mm-hmm. And I think it's helpful to know, hey, what are some of these triggers that I need to be careful? Yeah. Um, I need to I need to watch and guard my own life. Uh, in a close way, especially in moments like this, because if I'm not careful, it's easy into the path of depression. Sure, yeah. and I think um, it's important to note that depression is not something that happens overnight. It's like what you were saying. It's it's really a snowball effect of things that happen and compound on one another. Um, for example, uh, if you have just gone through a major life change, if you've experienced a trauma, or if you're just under a lot of stress from daily life, if you have a really difficult job, or if you've started a new school, um, a lot of kids going mm-hmm. into college, finals week hits, you know? Um, Which would be kind of more of a crisis depression. Sure, sure. and that's yeah. based on um, a lot of like circumstantial yeah. situations. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, physical illnesses, especially chronic illnesses, mm-hmm. can be a major, I don't know if gateway is the right word, but it can be something that... Influence. Sure, it's a circumstantial will, influence. Mm-hmm, and that can initiate that spiral mm-hmm. into depression, especially if someone has sought treatment for long periods of time and they're seeing no result from and it. And they just feel hopeless because of it. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. You know, I thought about one that we're in the midst of right now, and that's COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Look at the statistics that are coming out in the last couple of weeks of the suicide rate mm-hmm. uh, over the last number of months. And so isolation, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, isolation and loneliness mm-hmm. uh, can be triggers to depression. I, I think a big thing too to recognize is that, especially in chronic depression, mm-hmm. um, your triggers might not be so-and-so's triggers. Mm-hmm. And I think a big encouragement here as we're discussing triggers is to say, hey, as a as a believer and as a follower of God here, I would encourage you to look at your life and find the triggers in your life that mm-hmm. you, and now triggers change. But many times in chronic depression, there is a rhyme and reason to some of the triggers, right? Mm-hmm. And um, uh, it, it's helpful to know what's going to set it off. So like, is rejection something that really affects you? Mm-hmm. And if it is, look at your life and look back as you've been depressed or you've been struggling with depression and think through how has that affected this, you know? Yeah. And maybe that's a trigger that you need to be aware of So, because rejection's a part of life, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we have to learn that at an early age. So now, now I need to prepare myself that when I'm rejected, I need to take extra precautions in this area, you mm-hmm. know? And, and your trigger, though, we might not have talked about it. Yeah. And that's okay, but that means look for your triggers, you know, yeah, there's, and yeah. find them. It's yeah. a personalized yeah. and, thing. And especially in chronic depression, there is, and this has been debated from different forums and spheres, but if you have a personal or family history of depression, mm-hmm. that can carry on through that's several true. generations. And so mm-hmm. that's, that's just true. one of those things, you know, like it's not going to look different for, every, for everyone. Yeah, exactly. I, I think about a couple others we haven't talked about. One would be anxiety. Mm-hmm. And this kind of always focusing on the negative and just being people that are more critical in nature uh, probably have a greater chance of, of focusing on the negative, which leads them into this type of negative attitude, hopelessness, despair. Yeah. And um, there's a clinical term for, you know, when you have more than one diagnosis at once that's working against each other and making your issue worse. And we call that comorbidity. So mm-hmm. if you struggle with anxiety and you struggle with depression and it's just feeding off one another, that's one of those issues that makes yeah, your depression because they worse. do feed. Mm-hmm. They feed hardcore off of one another. Those two specifically, seemingly, when you're counseling people, many times they'll feed. And so somebody who's super anxious, many times they can be like, well, it's turning, you know, and mm-hmm. now I'm in a pit, you know, and it's like, yeah. okay, well, we need to talk about that, you know. One thing that I, th- I was thinking of that just from some recent counseling that I've been doing with some of our students and even adults a big one that came up as a trigger was lack of purpose, mm. lack of purpose. And especially with high schoolers and middle schoolers right now. Huh. And I would talk to them and we would talk through and they'd be like, Hey man, I'm, I'm struggling with depression. Okay. Well, let's talk about it. Okay. And we would sit down and talk. And the more we talk, it's like, they're like, I don't know why I'm depressed. My life is awesome. You know, mm. but the more that we would talk, we would be like, okay, well, what's your purpose in life? And, give or take in many of the cases, they could not come up or define their purpose. Mm. And then they would think about it and they were like, I don't really have a purpose, do I? And it's like, okay, well you do, but if you don't understand your purpose, that can be a trigger that can really make you feel useless, unwanted, and all of a sudden you're spiraling. Yeah, right. Yeah, That's right. And one other that we haven't talked about, I would say is hurt. 
and pain and um, unresolved hurt, whether it's from trauma that you've experienced growing up, maybe it's from abuse or um, even just hurtful words Mm -hmm. and uh, slander. There's a, there's a, there's an aspect where unresolved hurt, the Bible calls it bitterness and unforgiveness. Um, That is a major uh, contributor to depression. So, um, you know, we don't want to keep painting a picture of what depression looks like. I think most people have a pretty good idea, mm-hmm. uh, especially if people who have battled this, mm-hmm. um, they know firsthand what we are talking about. Um, so let's maybe stop and segue here a moment and um, let's spend some time here just really talking this through, uh, but talking it through the lens that the Bible would approach it. And so what does it look like to be an overcomer of depression? And, you know, a couple episodes ago on Soul and Substance, we were talking about how our society today often looks at issues like this, and they label it simply an illness. They label it a disorder. And and that's often what our society does with depression. They look at it, and it's only an illness. Mm-hmm. And, and, and yet um, they've labeled it purely a medical issue, purely a disease. However, the Bible doesn't look at it like that, you know? I mean, we were talking about how the Bible gives this holistic approach uh, to life and freedom. And so if it's a biological issue, then yeah, there's biological treatment for that. Um, if it's a if it's a mental issue, a psychological issue, then yeah, there's treatment for that too. But there is an aspect of our, our life is a spiritual life, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, we have uh, a soul and we have this being and... And, and the Bible really gives, I think, a holistic approach to freedom in overcoming depression. And so um, before we look at some ways that the Bible describes that, can you guys think about anybody in the Bible that battled uh, depression, some characters that got caught in that trap? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think of David. I mean, some yeah. of those Psalms, man, he's like, yeah. why is my soul downcast within me? You yeah, know? why are you yeah. in turmoil within me? You yeah. Know? Yeah, Psalm. yeah, I think of Elijah. Elijah, hey, Elijah, was Elijah had mountaintops and valley lows. And um, when I think of Elijah, I really think of somebody who is like the epitome many times of depression in our modern era. Because people will be like, yeah, I'm doing great. Mm-hmm. And then like they're like, man, what happened? You know, I mean, he literally <laughs> went from calling fire down from heaven. And then the Kill next the moment, next he's hiding in a cave Kill me. asking for the Lord to take his life. You know, someone I thought about was Jonah. I mean, that's a prophet of God that battled depression. I mean, look, Jonah is like every high, every low in the book. Um, someone I thought about too was Job. Uh, a couple verses in Job, Job 3, verse 26. Job says, I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. In verse 11, he says, why did I not perish at birth and die as I came forth from the womb? Uh, he says in chapter 10, I loathe my very life. Therefore, I will gain I will give free reign to my complaint and speak out in the bitterness of my soul. Mm-hmm. I mean, so you look at Job and you're like, man, he was in the pit of despair. Yeah. Uh, look at look at Jeremiah his servant, Jeremiah. Too. He, Jeremiah I mean, was he's known one. as the weeping prophet. Right. Um, but you listed a verse here, Jeremiah 20, 14. He said, cursed be the day I was born. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame? Mm. So we hear those verses, but we can relate to that. I mean, we can relate. And you know, the, the encouraging thing that I see as I read all of those names is that uh, most of them uh, were a king or a prophet of God. And, you know, we can look at the Bible and see some of the greatest people in the Bible, in the Old Testament, New Testament, some of the greatest prophets even. Uh, you know, Elijah, he would probably be one of the greatest prophets. And yet he battled uh, a period, a season of depression. Um, James chapter five, verse 17 says that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And that means he had the same struggles. He had the same, uh, physical makeup that you and I do. And, um, and we find him in, in first Kings chapter 18 and 19, Morgan, you mentioned that he's on this mountaintop experience having defeated false prophets. And in the very next chapter, we find him in a really a spiritual valley. He's out in the desert mm-hmm. and, um, it's interesting to note. Okay. Just for what it's worth. And I know we could get into a theological and contextual discussion here. Okay. Bring it on. It's interesting <laughs> to note though, in Elijah's situation that what the effects of rest and food and water. And I get the food and water was special and it gave him strength for 40 days. I get that. 
However, there was some physical traits going on in Elijah's story. Mm. As we continue going on here, there were some physical traits as well as spiritual problems that played a role in his well, depression. This, it's just interesting. An example it's right just now. interesting to think through. Yeah. Well, in the, that well, in the Bible, there's even physical no, there is. ramifications. There is. So let's yeah, let's take him. Exactly. Let's take him on Mount Carmel and the next chapter in chapter 19. You remember the story in verse one? Uh, Ahab told Jezebel that Elijah had done all these things, right? And how he had slain the false prophets with a sword. Then the Bible says in verse two, Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah. She said, so let the gods do to me and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. So here she is. She's literally given uh, Elijah a death threat. Mm -hmm. And in verse three, the Bible says, when he saw that he arose and he went for his life. So let's take Elijah for a minute because you're right, Stephen, there is the Bible's even cluing us into some of those things. So what are some of the triggers happening in Elijah's life. And I know we're, we're kind of speculating because we don't know, you know, how he sure. viewed these things, but the Bible does tell us some things. So what are, what do you think are some of those triggers that led him in that moment to the desert? I mean, I think extreme stress when okay. somebody <laughs> threatens your life and right. you literally have to run for your life because she has the power to send people after him, right. you know? And uh, so he was under extreme stress, you know, coming off of probably a huge high of adrenaline. So there's a lot of chemical things going Emotional. on. Emotional. Yeah. 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 So those are a few that I, I think about fear. Fear. Mm-hmm. I mean, fear was playing into this. For yeah. Him. And notice too where he ran. And this is something that interesting to watch. It's in the Bible. It's in people's lives. Depression causes people to isolate themselves, mm-hmm. which only makes matters worse. Yeah. Mark it down. Every situation, whether it's in the Bible or whether it's in your life, depression, when it leads to isolation, always continues to spiral. I mean, but for some reason, we we pull back and we're like, nope, I'm out. And that's the worst thing we could do. And I believe in Elijah's situation, the isolation just even compounded things. And that's why it was such a big breakthrough moment for him. Why, why, why is it? And this is just a question for the table, but why do you think we're so driven to immediately isolate ourselves when we get, you know, on the edge of depression and that's what sends us there. Why do we do that? So not to give away my sermon too much that's coming down the (laughs) pike when Aaron is out with the baby, but, um, something that I've really been studying recently and, um, thinking through is how since from the beginning, man, when he struggles or sins, he hides. Mm. It starts with Adam and Eve. What happened? They sinned. They became ashamed. They were created to be naked. Mm -hmm. And now we can't physically be naked because, I mean, first of all, it's just gross. But then also (laughs) it causes sin, right? However, I am trying to study this out of how maybe spiritually we are still intended to be exposed to those around us. And I think our natural sin and broken flesh is to hide. You look at David and Bathsheba, what do you do? Hide. Mm-hmm. Adam and Eve, hide. But there's shame, there's shame involved Because in sin that. causes shame. It and does so depression, shame. I yeah. believe, causes shame as well. And I believe it drives us to hide. Right. We don't want to, whether it's we don't want to be embarrassed, we don't want to admit it. Maybe we're ashamed of what's led us to that depression or how we are depressed. And I, we're think like, we're, I think there's, there's an aspect of fear of like fearful of what, uh, the fear of man mm-hmm. and fearful yeah. of what people will think about you now that they know that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many things that make us want to pull away. I think there's an aspect though that we, you know, you go into your question, Morgan. I think it's like people pull away in moments of pain because it's easier to get alone than to deal with Mm -hmm. what caused the pain, Mm -hmm. you know, because, you know, and that's an aspect I think, um, you know, we're talking about depression, but, um, and I don't have a lot of experience other than my own life and people that I've uh, talked with about this, but just in those instances, there has been a number of of common ground things. and, And one of them is, it's it's easier to pull away than to actually deal with the inevitable, mm-hmm. like than to deal with what hurt you, to mm-hmm. deal with what is unresolved, to deal with um, the situation, and and rather than deal with the situation, or rather than deal with people, people, you know, we'd rather pull away yeah. because 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 we think this is what we tell ourselves. We think it's safer that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and but notice what happened. It wasn't safer in Elijah's life. I mean, it, you're right. It compounded problems for him. Is that in the I mean, think, think about what? Jonah though. <laughs> think about Jonah. Jonah did the exact same thing. You know, he pulled out of the city and he's all alone and he's having this pity party for himself. And it does, it compounds the problem because, um, 
because notice he went for his life. So there's all of these different things. I mean, we can at least talk about some fear, um, some external situations, some circumstances. Of course, there was probably emotional feelings that Elijah had in terms of his victory and now this great low. Mm-hmm. And and maybe if you're listening today to the podcast, you're in the similar situation. Uh, you're not on the mountaintop today and you're in the valley and and you're just overwhelmed uh, with despair, you're overwhelmed with um, the pain of of what led you there, and and you know I think Morgan, you're talking about a dark cloud. Mm-hmm. Um, that that I think is such a vivid picture uh, because it is. I think when you're in the pit of depression, it is just like this lingering cloud, and you wake up with it in the morning, and, and you go to bed at night with it, mm-hmm. and and it's in that moment that we need to be confronted. And this is what the Bible is actually going to do in in First Kings 19. God's approach to overcoming depression, I find so encouraging because it really begins with letting God confront you about it, Mm. letting God confront you and getting to really what is the problem. You know, um, I find it encouraging when God comes to Elijah, there's a lot of things that God didn't say to Elijah that he could have said. Mm -hmm. I mean, here's, he's a mighty prophet. He had done all this thing, but God didn't come to Elijah and, you know, be like, hey, Elijah, you really should be ashamed of yourself right now. <laughs> you know, like, snap it together. Um, God didn't come to him and be like, snap out of it, man. Just, just get up. You know, you shouldn't feel this way. Mm-hmm. God didn't say anything like that. I mean, God didn't even rebuke Elijah and say, Elijah, it's dumb. <laughs> yeah. God didn't do any of that. God comes to Elijah in First Kings 19, and this is how God confronts him. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? And two times in that chapter, God confronts him. And I find this to be just like, this is the heart of God. Like, this is the gospel. As we talk about the gospel is not only the solution to um, freedom from substances and things that we've been talking about before, but God's word, the truth of God's word is is a comfort. Uh, The Bible says it's like a double-edged sword. You know, Mm -hmm. not only does it cut, but but it also heals. And... And God comes to him with so much grace and love, and God just speaks to him. I mean, it's just like, I, 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 I sense this tenderness of God that, you know, he comes to Elijah and he's like, Elijah, what are you doing here? Mm-hmm. What are you doing here? And I think people who are in the pit of despair and people who are in depression need to be asked that question. Mm-hmm. They need to be confronted by God and have not really asked that question, what are you doing here? Because it causes us to think. It causes us to think what choices, what behaviors, what actions, what path did I take to get here? And just like Elijah took that path into the desert, he had to make a whole bunch of decisions what led him to that moment. Mm -hmm. And when God says, Elijah, what are you doing here? It really confronts him with this reality of looking back and saying, well, what were all the choices? What were all the things that I've done? What were all the things that I've dwelled on mm-hmm. to come to this moment? I think pathway is important and, and choices are important to highlight because uh, initially the catalyst for his descent into the desert was, was something that happened to him. It was the threat on his life, you know, but everything after that, it, it was a choice that he made and how he was trying to deal with that mm-hmm. in that isolation. Yeah. Exactly. That that is the key. Mm-hmm. Like you honed it. So Elijah, he's threatened, right? And like you said, that's out of his control. Mm-hmm. However, what does he do? He runs. He leaves his servant isolation. That's a mistake. I fully believe that if he had kept his servant, his servant had been long with him long enough. I fully believe that a servant could have encouraged him and possibly helped him, but he kept running. Mm-hmm. Where does he go then? He travels another day. Mm-hmm. He's doubting God's good, right? All of these are his choices. These are not somebody else's choices made for him. These are his choices now that are affecting his response. Mm -hmm. And so while depression has triggers, I believe, that are outside of our control. Absolutely. Depression does begin with choices and continues with choices many times that we can choose and are in control of. Would you agree with that? I I would. And it's like that stairwell picture, that that national treasure, deep, dark stairwell. Every step you have to take, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't just... Often you don't just fall immediately to the bottom of the pit. There's a stair step down, you know, and it's that that conscious decision of, you know, what you're doing to deal with this. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we don't have time to go through all this, but I think what you brought out, Stephen, about shame. I think even in that path that that spiraled downwards, 
we, we go down that path because we're not wanting to confront what's on the surface. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and in actual fact, the, we don't see, we don't want to choose that way. So rather we, we make the choice down. So, well, and just one more thought on yeah. that. Oftentimes the thing we have to confront is probably going to be painful. Mm-hmm. And in order to avoid further pain, even though that pain will lead to healing, mm-hmm. we choose to run away from it. Well, and it's a vicious cycle too. Because one of the things that depression, one of the symptoms mm-hmm. that it brings is a lack of drive, mm-hmm. fatigue, and not wanting to work, right? Yeah. Well, what do you have to do to get out of depression? Yeah, I mean, work. in an extent, it's God's strength in me, yes. However, I also have to make choices and work at it. Yeah. And so it can be a vicious cycle sometimes where somebody's depressed and they're like, I don't want to do any of this. You don't want to deal with like, it. it's like, I don't want to deal with it. I'm just going to run. And it's like, well, if that's like the number one worst thing you could do, you know? And so then it's just a cycle now and they're depressed. They're depressed. And yeah, you're right. So let's, 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 let's kind of begin here then uh, in the remaining time we have left and say, you know, we, 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 we don't want to just give a, a three steps out of the pit to depression. Mm-hmm. That's not, that's not why we're here. Um, but what I think we do want to do is provide a little bit of framework for people to think about. And so as we kind of would kind of wrap up and, and kind of showing uh, encouraging people, I think, uh, encouraging people to help them see what does the Bible give for us mm-hmm. uh, to be overcomers. What what are some of those kind of concluding? I mean, what 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 would be some of those um, hooks we want to hang our thought on as we kind of move out of that pit? Yeah. So just starting on some basic things, uh, Morgan, can you use the three areas we talked about as we were preparing? when you're dealing with things like this? Do you call them bio? Yeah, so in social work, when we talk about an initial assessment with someone who's mm-hmm. coming for treatment, um, you usually do a biopsychosocial and spiritual assessment. Yes. And spiritual yeah. is a huge aspect that's often forgotten in secular yeah. uh, parts. Yeah, but. so in, in my biblical counseling class that I took a couple of years ago, a couple of semesters ago, I guess now I'm not that old, Uh, a couple of semesters ago at uh, Southeastern, we discussed it and they walked through this idea of many times depression has multiple facets, right? That it affects in your life. And so there, Mm. there is a physical, there is an emotional, there is a spiritual. Now I think as Christians, we can make a heavy argument and we, me and you were discussing this as well as with Morgan, that, that the spiritual is is the most important many times in that area, right? I would just say oftentimes the spiritual aspect in depression gets left out. Mm -hmm. And I would argue it's probably the most prevalent and actually the most critical aspect Mm -hmm. of it. Which in this passage, okay, it's interesting as I'm looking at this, and I've preached out of this before to some teenagers, but as I'm looking through it again with these eyes today, I see all three areas in his story mm-hmm. yeah, and God too. addresses all three areas. Yeah. He does. He addresses the physical with sleep and food. He, he, he fed him and he, he told him to sleep. Yeah. Which, yeah. which I don't think we can discount no. some of the basic no. physical necessities that go out the window in depression. Yeah. Our sleep gets messed up. Our eating habits gets messed mm-hmm. up. We don't exercise. And I, I mean, I know that that's making it really basic and I'm not trying to say in any way that all of a sudden, hey, that cures it. Mm-hmm. But what I am saying is there are things we can do. But you're changing some behaviors yes. on the surface that mm-hmm. are contributing yes. to that. Mm-hmm. Yes. He continues and he talks to him on a spiritual level with purpose. Hey, I'm not done with you yet, Elijah. I am still God. It's my will, not yours. And then he also, I believe he gives him emotional comfort. Mm-hmm. He reminds him that he is not the only one left. And I mean, he says, hey, God I know you're struggling. Him. I mean, I think it's... That's crazy. Yeah, no, it is. I think it's amazing to see God's love for him. But he does emphasize, to to the credit that we're saying about the spiritual area, he does emphasize the spiritual purpose, it seems like, in this passage. That is a main, main point in this passage. Because if you do start and you only stay with dealing with the physical, you know, as long as your internal world, world is a mess... Any, no matter how hard you try to fix the physical, it's not going to change mm-hmm. That's right. your internal world. That's right. That's right. So, I mean, I think we begin by saying, hey, let God confront you where you're at mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and let God confront you and, and your circumstance mm-hmm. and where you're at. And I think it's if you're in that uh, pit of depression, it's, it's taking a moment and saying, how did I get here? Yeah. Asking the question like Elijah, man, what, what, what path did I take? Where did I go? What, what was I running away from? What, mm-hmm. what, am, I, what am I hurt by? And, uh, and what, am I, what am I trying to isolate myself from? And let God confront you. And I think there was an aspect here that, secondly, 
Elijah had to forgive and let loose. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he had to change his focus. He had to begin to look at his life through the lens that God, like you were saying, Stephen, God's lens for his circumstance rather than looking at his circumstance through how he wanted to feel about it. Mm-hmm. But Elijah needed to change his perspective. He needed to have his gaze shifted. He needed to, you know, not think a certain way about how he had been thinking about it, but he needed to change uh, his focus. And that's what gets him out of the pit. Yeah. And I I have, an, I have a question that goes with that point and also the one before. Um, how do we let God confront us? And how does that perspective get shifted? Because I'm not going to lie. God's never sent me a whirlwind or a fire, mm-hmm. but then he's never showed up, you know, like he doesn't audibly speak to us as he did in the prophet. So sure. how practically does that work? You know, I, I'll give a personal story here. I mean, yeah. I give them out of my own experience. And Stephen, you might add to this. There was a period in my life a number of years ago where I was really in a pit. I would think most people in my life probably wouldn't know it. I, I don't even really know to this day if my wife knew it. And, um, and there was a number of things that had contributed that it wasn't just one thing, but it was one of those things that after a period of time, I realized I'd wake up in the morning and all I had was negative thoughts and I'd go to bed at night and all I had was negative thoughts. And it was just like this pit of despair. And I can remember, you know, there was a number of things that God did in my life that, um, truly brought me out of that. I can remember one night I woke up at like 2 a.m., and I couldn't go to sleep. I mean, I was like, I had the symptom, man. I, I was, I was, I was sleepless. I was restless. And and I get up and I and I remember going into our study and our library. And I, I just took out my Bible and I had no clue where to go. I mean, it was one of those moments where I just felt um, at a loss. And I can remember going through the Psalms. And I just remembered, you know, I always remember that the Psalmist is somebody you identify with. And I remember I literally picked up my Bible and I think I started in Psalm one and I just kept reading. And when I got to Psalm chapter 16, verse 11, it hit me. Uh, the verse in Psalm sixteen eleven says, um, that at God's right hand are pleasures forevermore. And I remember reading that. And I remember saying to myself, Lord, I don't have that. I don't have that. Uh, I, I don't. I don't have this pleasure that's talked about. And then I begin to read more. And where is that pleasure found? Well, it's found at His right hand. And I realized that there had been circumstances in my life that I had allowed to drive me away uh, from God. And in in a season of 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 just hurt and despair, I I realized what I needed was God to confront me about those things personally. And, uh, and I made a decision that night. I remember praying and, and saying, Lord, I, I want, I want joy again. Mm-hmm. I want to change. I want this to happen. And, and I can remember it was like that moment. It was like one of those God coming to Elijah moments, you know, and just like confronting me where I was showing me really how far I had moved away and didn't really realize mm-hmm. it. And, and I remember I just began making some external choices differently. I, I began reading my Bible more. I began um, trying to eat better and just yeah. doing some things that I, I know I, I wasn't. And, um, and, and then it was a number of months later, um, one day, uh, and I've told people this story before, so, but I, I can remember one day I was, um, I, I was literally taking a shower and I had a bar of soap in my hand and the thought was there was this circumstances that had run over and over and over in my mind that I hadn't turned loose. And, um, and for whatever reason I, I had held on to that. And um, it was like, as clear as day, I, I literally remember dropping the bar of soap in the shower and saying, God, I need to turn that loose. Mm-hmm. I need to turn that loose. And, and it was like, in that moment, as I dropped the bar of soap, it felt like a hundred pounds just dropped from my hand, you know? And, and it was one of those moments where I think that day, for me, in the pit of my despair, I changed my focus. And I began to realize that what God had done and the things that had happened in my life, um, although, you know, um, those, all of my life, the circumstance was something that I could trust God in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I could, I, could, I could let His truth uh, literally just wash over me and trust that Lord, mm-hmm. the Lord was uh, who He said He was, and I could trust in Him. And I'm telling you, it was like one of those things where... Two, three, four months went by. I don't know how long it really was looking back on it. But I remember waking up one morning and and then going to bed that night. 
and I didn't have a negative thought like I had mm-hmm. before. And I literally like remember putting my head on the pillow that night and just being like, man, Lord, thank you. And it was like, that was a season. I mean, I, I, I try to tell that story when I'm telling to talking to people about depression because I feel like they relate to that. People can you know mm-hmm. relate to that. But also it's like, I don't say that as a negative thing to like discourage people like, hey, look, that took me about five or six months to get out of it. I hope it takes you less. But as I think about the story of Elijah, you know, however many days it took him in a journey into the desert, uh, he had to take just that much time to get out of the desert. Mm-hmm. And and we have sometimes wrongly in the church when we talk about depression illustrated it like a light switch. And it's yep. like, oh, you just make a choice. You flip the switch. Your whole attitude, your outlook on life is good. Well, no, <laughs> not at all. You you have to continue to make that choice yes. moment by moment, day by day. Yeah. And over a period of time, God's going to bring you out of those exaggerated feelings of hopelessness and despair, the the feelings that you've been pulled away from reality, and God's going to put your feet back on a solid yes. ground. Mm-hmm. And I'm just telling you, that is the most encouraging thing that, that God's done in my life in recent yes. years. Yeah. As, uh, just to kind of clarify there, too, in your story, you mentioned basically how I would answer the question mm-hmm. about how do you let God confront you? You said that it began when you were going through God's word and mm-hmm. you found yeah. if you look in Jonah's story and Elijah's story, God spoke to them. Mm-hmm. Now, I think today we're all like, man, I wish God would open up the heaven and speak to me. You know, he has. He has. He right. has. He sent his son, the living word of God, and then he's given us his complete word. So I think a way of letting God confront us mm-hmm. is actually being willing enough to open our lives to his word. Mm-hmm. Right. Because when we are willing to take that step, God's running after us. Yeah. In both of those stories, God pursued Elijah and Jonah and God's pursuing you. Whoever's That's right. listening right mm-hmm. now, right. he's pursuing you. And if you're willing to let him confront you, open his word, allow him to speak to you, According to his word, he will. That's right. He says he will. And (laughs) as much as anyone going through depression feels like so much is out of their control, you always have that choice to turn your face Mm -hmm. to the Lord and cry out to him and he will hear. Mm -hmm. And thank you so much, Aaron, for sharing what you did. And like I, what many people don't know about me is that one of my last semesters of college, I went through a very um, deep, but thankfully short-lived depressive episode Um, and your story encouraged me then and encourages me now. Um, but I just think about when God confronted me, um, and I was angry with him. Why, like, why am I feeling like this? My life is pretty good. You know, it just seems like this came out of nowhere. Um, but he was, I, in desperation, really, I was just like, I picked up my phone and opened the Bible app because I didn't have my Bible in front of me. And I was just like, I need something. I don't, I don't know what to do. I need something. And this is not prescriptive. This was just one very unique time when the Lord yeah. brought up the verse of the day in the YouVersion Bible app, and it was Isaiah forty three nineteen, And it said, See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Mm-hmm. And that verse was enough for me to hold on to, to look at my situation where I had started believing things about God that were not true. I forgot his character pretty quickly, which was startling, um, but it, 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 it confronted me. It really grounded me to say, you know, go back to the word. Don't forget who your Lord is because he tells you, you know, he tells you who he is. He shows us who he is um, through his word and then coming to terms with it and not being in isolation. I think that was another huge thing for me. Yeah, that's good. I was, and thank goodness, because of my education, I knew so much about depression already. I was like, this is not a good pathway to start down. So I immediately sought um, counsel from a professional on my school's campus and then from my spiritual leaders who lived on my hall Mm -hmm. and those who God had placed in my life. And they were able to show me um, the the professional counselor was able to help me identify things that had compounded over the last two years, like my health issues, losses that I had faced that were really significant and I just had never dealt with fully. Um, and they were able to uh, lead me out in a sense, you yeah. know, avoiding but, that but isolation. But you were willing, but you were willing yeah. to let God confront you about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you were willing to, you know, there is a moment, that crisis moment of forgiving that and letting that go. Because mm-hmm. I think within any illustration of those triggers that we're leading into that, there, there, there comes a moment where we have to change 
how we viewed that yeah. or how we're um, responding to that. I mean, Joseph had to do that in the Old Testament mm-hmm. with his brothers. There's constantly scripture after scripture where we need to be confronted with that. And then when we, and like you were saying, God's character, we, thirdly, I think one thing is we, we just find true joy and delight in him and we mm-hmm. embrace what God says about us. Psalm 16, verse 11. I mean, this verse, listen to this, for you make known to me the path of life. And we can make our own paths, and we can go do our own thing, and we can find ourselves in a pit and in the desert really quick. But God, but the Bible says, but you make known to me. God's the one who does that. God makes known the path of life, the path that we're to take. And in his presence is a fullness of joy. And at right in his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And I just mm-hmm. find that so encouraging because it's like at, in God's presence, there is a fullness of joy. There's pleasure forevermore. And people who are in the pit of despair need to hear that, mm-hmm. uh, that when you come to the Lord and you are willing to confront your sin and you're willing to embrace him, God's willing to give you his joy and his delight. And mm-hmm. I think then the fourth thing I would just bring out here as we kind of draw to an end is that we need to get involved with people again. Going back to what you were saying, Stephen, about you know those moments of pain and shame make us want to isolate. And what did God tell Elijah to do? Well, hey, Elijah, there's another thousand, uh, wasn't it 7,000 people that hadn't bowed the knee to Baal? Isn't that right? I, believe, How many? Yeah, I, can't, I, believe, I can't remember. I believe it was 7,000. 7,000, yeah. isn't it? And it's just like God's telling Elijah, hey, go get involved with people again. Hmm. Hey, there's a lot of other people that are that are not only in your shoes, but they, they're experiencing this, and you need the encouragement of those people. Yeah. And uh, so anything at last minute, kind of last minute things as we kind of wrap up today? Yeah, I would just encourage the listener, don't be afraid. And don't hide. Uh, it's so easy, but that's only going to procrastinate healing in your life. Mm-hmm. And don't be afraid to step out and to seek help in multiple ways. Um, my wife, I'm, I'm not, I'm not prone to depression as a like constant struggle in my life. Uh, however, my wife is. And, uh, maybe I will be one day and, um, I hope not, but you know, like things like that change, but currently I've not had to struggle with that much, but my wife has, and, um, she got to a point in her life where she had suicidal thoughts, um, almost attempted to once. And she had to go through a time of healing that was pretty intensive. It included counseling, it included a psychiatrist, it included meds for a little bit. We talked about antidepressants. There's a high danger and there's a big problem with it. However, there is times where you have to maybe take a bridge, right? So if I could encourage the listener, don't let stigmas stop you from what you need. However, understand the danger of giving into those stigmas because they're stigmas for a reason. Mm -hmm. So don't be, be aware of the danger, but go all out, man. And the biggest thing that you could do is to go after God in these times. Psalm 34, 4, I believe, says those who look to him are radiant. They, those who look to him, they are radiant, and their faces are not ashamed. That means your face will literally be lightened. You have a light face. It'll be full of light, and you don't have to have shame. You don't have to have, you don't have, to have that fear and sadness and guilt and hiding anymore when you look to him. That's good. Mm-hmm. So the most importantly— on top of all those other things is to take care of the spiritual and to look to him. Mm-hmm. That's good. Morgan, anything else? Yeah, I would uh, definitely agree with Stephen and say, number one, do not isolate yourself. I think it's one of the biggest tools of the enemy. It's the first thing we want to do, but it's the last thing you should do. Um, so me, the first thing is just throw everything that you have um, to the Lord Um I don't remember the first reference, but one of my favorites is um, cast all your cares or anxieties on him for he cares for you. And he does. And it's so easy to forget that you are so cared for and you are so loved and pursued um, by the Lord at every stage of your life, especially when you're feeling like nobody is around you and you're in a pit. Um, But going to him first and just trusting him that he's going to heal you even before he does. And another thing I would say is just don't get discouraged in the process Um, because my my personal experience, it lasted several months and that is short lived, whereas some people struggle for years. Um, But just know that the Lord is able and he is he is capable of healing you in his strength. And if you lie on, on yourself, it's easy. It's going to be easy to burn out in the process. But That's if you're right. relying on the Lord and you're depending upon him and trusting him that he 
you know, makes uh, makes our way straight and he gives us pleasures forevermore. That is a solid anchor to rest on. Well, listen, I'll close this by uh, reading Psalm 34, verse 5. You already read verse uh, 4, Stephen, but uh, verse 6, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. Verse 8, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Thank you for listening to Where We Land, Christ, Culture, and the Church. Listen, if there's anything you heard us talk about on the show today that you'd like to know more about, we'd love to hear from you. So send us your thoughts, questions, and feedback by sending us an email at podcast at whereweland.org. If you're following Where We Land in the way we're laying out seasons, we are planning a live episode on August 20th of 2020 at 7 p.m. on Facebook Live. So be sure to check out the Where We Land Facebook page, and this episode will conclude our first season, and our second season will pick up in just a few weeks. So we look forward to having you join us there next time.